0: Most of you know me, but just in case you do not, um, I'm the associate pastor here at Harvest Bible Chapel. Uh, My name is Pastor Ryan, or if you're slightly more daring, you can call me Pastor RJ or just RJ. Either one, it's up to you. I've got a very deep theological question for you this morning. How many of you have seen Back to the Future Part 3? Okay, handful of you. Great. If you've seen it, uh, you'll remember that it's the one where Dr. Emmett Brown, played played by Christopher Lloyd, and Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, end up in the Old West. And they're faced with a a mad gunslinger who wants to put a bullet into Dr. Emmett Brown. And they know that they have a, a time limit as to when that event's gonna happen. And so they're trying to get back to the present, which for them was 1985, some 34 years ago. But they have an issue. They've got no fuel in their time machine, or their DeLorean-turned-time machine, which, by the way, is an awesome idea. They've got no fuel. They've got no gasoline. And it doesn't take a historian to know that you're not going to find a Hux in 1885. So, they've got an issue because they have to get that DeLorean up to 88 miles an hour in order to travel back to their present, and they can't do that without gas. So, there's a particular montage in the middle of the movie where they're trying alternate ways to see if they can get the DeLorean up to 88 miles an hour. You might remember this if you've seen the movie. They've got a team of six horses hooked up to the DeLorean, and they're pulling it across the desert, trying to see how fast they can get it up, and they can only get it to the great speed of 24 so then the next scene you see um doc with a a bottle of alcohol that they say is the strongest stuff they could get from the local bar and they're pouring it into the gas tank and marty's behind the wheel and doc says give it some gas start it up and it acts like it's going to start for a moment and then boom and out from under the car comes the fuel injection manifold just blows it right off They didn't have the proper fuel. And why in the world am I bringing it back to the future on a Sunday morning in church? Because we as Christians, if we do not run on the proper fuel, we're either going to fall short of everything God wants us to be, or we're going to get so stressed that something's going to blow if we don't run on the proper fuel in this life, the outcome is damaging. The outcome is painful. The outcome is not what we're going for as Christians, as servants of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, would you turn with me to the book of Galatians? We'll be in chapter 5. And we'll be considering what is probably one of the most popular passages in the Bible. Galatians chapter 5, beginning of verse 16 and reading all the way through verse 24. If you're ready, say go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Before we continue, let me give you just a snapshot of the book of Galatians. I did this a few weeks ago when I preached on Galatians 6, but I want to go over it again, just summarize the context of Galatians and what's going on here to give us a little bit of context for our passage today. You might remember that Paul wrote this epistle to combat some bad theology that was circulating through the churches of Galatia. There was a group of people, a group of agitators, some have referred to them as Judaizers, who had infiltrated the churches, and they were teaching that, yes, you need Jesus, but we need the law, too, to be saved. Yes, we need Jesus, but we need circumcision. Yes, we need Jesus, but we need to add to this this, this faith that you guys have in order to be saved. And Paul wrote the book of Galatians to combat that and say, no, 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 no. That's not the gospel that we presented to you. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which he later says is not really a gospel at all. So in chapter one, Paul has to defend his apostolic ministry, remind them what the gospel is and who he is and why he has the authority to present what he's presenting. In chapter two, he reminds them that it's not just him, but the other apostles who follow Jesus Christ, they support faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapters Three and four, he actually argues for the gospel from the Old Testament to further prove the point that we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And in chapter five, he relates how we are free from the law in the sense that we no longer need to obey the law, that the law brings no salvation. And now we get to our passage in Galatians five sixteen. Through 24. And here, what I'm suggesting to you this morning is that Paul gives us the proper fuel source and the proper outcome of the fuel source that the Christian should live by in order to live the life appropriately. So we're going to jump into that and answer this question. We're going to answer two questions this morning. First of all, what is the Christian's proper fuel source? We're going to answer that very quickly. But then, secondly, How do we act that out? How do we activate it? How do we plug into this fuel source? And what does that look like? So your first point this morning is this. We should recognize that there are two types of fuel, the spirit and the flesh. There are two types of fuel, the spirit and the flesh. Look again with me at verse 16. Paul writes, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The command here is straightforward, walk by the Spirit. It's that simple, and that answers our first question. That is the fuel source for the Christian. To be empowered by the Holy Spirit is what we want in our lives. That's the fuel that you and I want to run on in order to do this Christian life appropriately, in order to be all that God wants us to be, in order to keep from hurting ourselves or hurting somebody else or hurting the ministry of the gospel, We rely on the power of the Spirit. Paul says, walk by the Spirit. You know, if we did that, 99% of our problems would be solved. If you think about it, if every moment you and I were walking by the Spirit, well, there'd be no relational conflict. We'd be obedient to what God wants us to do. There'd be no disobedience. We'd still have to live in a world of disobed- that was disobedient to God but 99% of our problems will be solved if we just simply walked by the spirit every single moment of every day walk by the spirit what does that even mean? The Greek for walk there is the word peripeteo, and it can mean a couple things. It can mean simply as it's written to go here and there, to go about, to walk around, and that's what we do when we walk. We move from A to B. When I got up this morning and I went to my car, I peripeteo to my car. It's that simple. So is Paul saying here, hey, go for a walk with the Holy Spirit? I mean, that'd be cool. Could get some questions answered Maybe. But no, that's not what he's saying at all. Because the word peripeteo can also mean to conduct one's life, to behave how I am behaving, how I am living my life. That is also what the word peripateo mean, and that's the better fit here in the passage. As I go through my daily life, the things that happen, the choices that I'm confronted with, I should respond by being empowered with the Spirit. I should be sensitive to the Spirit's leading and guiding and prompting in my life. That is the proper fuel source for the Christian, to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us to conduct our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why would he say that? Why would he have to tell us that? Because there's two kinds of fuel, the spirit and the flesh. And these kinds of fuel are at war. Against each other. There is a battle between the spirit and the flesh. And the Bible actually has a lot to say about this battle. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're actually told that we were born in sin, and it was so bad, our flesh was so bad, that we were actually dead, spiritually dead. That's how bad it was. John tells us in first John 2 that the flesh has three forms of attack: the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions. Romans 7, 18, you can read this on the screen, reads, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. There is a battle between my flesh and the Holy Spirit, which lives inside of me. Back to Galatians, Paul writes, I say walk by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The fight is constant. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about and you sense this every single day, the fight between your spirit and the fight between the spirit of God and your flesh. And as we move through our day, we're either going to submit to one or the other. We're either going to run on the fuel of the flesh or we're going to run on the fuel of the spirit. As we go through our daily life and as we're faced with choices, we're going to submit to one or the other. Douglas Moo is a commentator and he wrote a a big commentator on on the book of Galatians and he writes this, it's on the screen. Christians should not think they have the choice to do whatever they want. Whether conscience of it or not, their actions at every point are governed by either the flesh or the spirit. Think about that. We are actually never truly free to do whatever we want. We're either going to be a slave to the flesh or we're going to be a slave to the spirit, a slave to righteousness. That's a sobering thought. Do you remember, okay, dating myself. Tom and Jerry. You hold up your hand. Do you guys remember that? Anybody not remember Tom and Jerry? Oh, I was expecting at least one hand. Okay, good. Everyone knows Tom and Jerry. That's great. All right, so Tom and Jerry. You know Tom and Jerry cartoons. Tom is the cat. Jerry is the mouse. And the essence of each cartoon is Tom is trying to catch Jerry. And there are some cartoons where he actually gets a hold of him. He actually grabs him or Terry falls into the trap or whatever's going on. And then Tom is faced with a choice. And two little beings pop up on his shoulders. One is a demon cat and one is an angel cat. And the demon cat is just hounding him saying, eat him, eat him, eat him. And the angel cat is saying, no, don't hurt the poor little mouse. Let him go. Why do I bring up that silly illustration? Because in a much grander, far more serious scale, that's the way it is between the flesh and the spirit. As the flesh and the spirit battle over you and your choices and the things that you do as you go about your life, they're both pulling at you. So I would ask you this question. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to as you go through your life? Who are you giving your attention to? And you might think to yourself, well, you know what? I'm doing pretty good in a lot of areas. I'm giving control to the Spirit. You know, I try to wake up, and I try to have my time in God's word, and I try to to make sure that I'm a good witness, and I try to make sure that I'm taking care of my family, and I try this, and I try that, and that's great. But maybe there's some area of your life where you know the flesh still has control. And you turn to the power of the flesh instead of the power of the spirit. And I would ask you right now, is there something that God's laying on your heart, some area of your life that you know the flesh still has control of this? There's a war for how you conduct your life. And maybe some areas are doing great, and maybe some areas are not doing so great. And I would ask again, Who are you listening to? Which fuel source do you submit to? Not only should we recognize the battle between the spirit and the flesh, that there are two types of fuel. We also need to be aware of the works of the flesh. Point number two, be aware of the wrong fuel source, the works of the flesh. Be aware of the wrong fuel source, the works of the flesh. And Paul out, outlines the wrong or outlines the 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 outcome of the wrong fuel source in verses 19 and 21. Read with me. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yuck. Yuck. And all God's people said, yuck. The works of the flesh is not a pretty picture. These are the things, and you note that Paul didn't even list them all. He said things like these, because it would have probably taken page after page after page to list the works of the flesh. He gives us an idea of what these things look like. These are the outcomes. To continue with the illustration of fuel, these are the exhaust fumes that come from a life that's powered by the flesh. And we need to be aware of this list. And you might think, why would I want to be aware of something I don't want to be a part of? This is awful. This is horrendous. These, these behaviors are horrible. Why would Paul even list them here? Why should we even be aware of them? Well, sometimes for the sake of clarity, it's good to know what not to do. Or it's good to see the behavior that we don't want to partake in. Sometimes for the sake of the clarity, we point to the wrong thing to help us see the right thing. And I think that's what Paul is doing here. Let me give you an illustration of this. The first time I ever mowed a lawn, I think I was about 14, my father took me out in the the yard and I didn't know it then, but I know it now that he was absolutely thrilled that I was of the age to do this. And he showed me how the mower worked. You know how it goes, where the gas goes and what the lever does and how to pull the string and get it started and all that. He got me going, got the lawnmower going and everything. And then he told me, we started at at the top of the house and to go down and turn around and come back and kind of go just back and forth all the way down to the road, to the sidewalk. So that's what I did. And I got done and he came to inspect my work as every good father would. And the funny thing that he saw... Was about every foot and a half, two feet, there was a thin strip of grass that was running like like lines on a page. Why is that? Why is that? I forgot to overlap. I didn't realize I needed to overlap. I would just go down and then just turn around and come back and I wouldn't overlap my lanes and so I was missing thin patches of grass. That is a good example of how not to mow. That's not what we're gunning for. And Paul does something similar here. He shows us this nasty list of sins to give us a heads up that this is not the behavior you're looking for. And if you see this kind of behavior in your life, you know you're running on the wrong fuel source. This is what we want to avoid. Now, time does not permit me to go into each and every one of these, and I don't think I even would want to, even if I had the time. But what we can do in the passages in verses 19 and 20 and 21 is you can clump some of these together in broader categories. For instance, let me explain. Verse 19 says, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. These are quite plainly sex sins that we as Christians want to avoid. Any sexual behavior that is outside of God's plan for sex is sin. It's running on the wrong fuel source. Sex outside of marriage, adultery, homosexuality, these things are prohibited by God's word. They are works of the flesh and they need to be shunned by the Christian. So we can clump those together. We can also clump in verse 20, idolatry and sorcery because these are sins that take the place of God idolatry you might think well that's self-explanatory it's the worship of idols but really it's the worship of anything that's substituted for God in our lives you can worship anything you can put in anything in place of God in your life you can put video games television sports fame fortune people time books movies sex power podcasts fashion smartphones nature children spouses and Reese's peanut butter cups Anything that takes the place of God is idolatry. Now, sorcery, we connect that with magic and and magical practices, and that's appropriate. But it's also interesting. The Greek is the word pharmakeia, and it goes beyond magic to the practice of mind-altering drugs. In fact, of this word, pharmakeia, John MacArthur writes this, the word was used as a synonym for witchcraft and black magic because drugs were so commonly used in their practices You might think, you know, we don't do black magic, we don't do those kinds of things. But it still has that idea of putting something, a drug maybe even, in the place of God. And some people, even some Christians I would say, they get to a point where I can't cope with life, so I'm going to turn to fill in the blank. Instead of running on the power of the spirit, they're choosing to run on the fumes of the flesh. The list goes on. We can clump enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. We can clump those together as relational sins. They're sins that are done toward each other. Just think about enmity, strife, and jealousy. Think about those things. They break down relationships. <clears throat> Excuse me. me. <clears throat> They tear people apart. Again, remember, this is the picture of we're not, what we're not gunning for. It's the product of running on the wrong fuel. It's the black, nasty exhaust that issues from our lives when we're running on the flesh. These sins, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, those things, they are sins against God first and foremost, absolutely, but they're also sins against one another. Think about this, how many of you are best friends with somebody who's always wanted to pick a fight with you? He's always wanted to get you stirred up, just because. I mean, we all know people like that, but who wants that as a best friend? Hey, meet my best friend, he's a jerk. Nobody wants that. They're destructive. And when the Christian emulates wrong behavior because he's running on the wrong fuel source, that's destructive, relationally destructive. Destructive, And we need to be aware of the works of the flesh. Why? Because it's not always easy to see that we're running on the flesh until we start seeing these kinds of behaviors. Then we can recognize, my life's getting off track. I need a pit stop into the word of God. Paul shares the works of the flesh as a warning sign. If you see this in your life, pull over, drain your tank, and refill. So I'm going to ask, where do you see yourself in this list? What in this list is a temptation for you? You know, it's interesting. What I struggle with is probably different than what you struggle with because we're all different. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. So I'm, I'm putting it out there, which areas of the works of the flesh are struggles for you? You might think to yourself, you know, I don't struggle with the sex sins, but you know that jealousy thing, that that gets me. Or you might say to yourself, well, I'm looking over this list and I don't really see anything in this list that that um, I struggle with. To that I would say, be careful, because many of these things are very subtle. Many of these things we struggle with and we don't even realize it. Think about impurity. That can be so struggle. Just things that creep into your mind that you may not even be fully aware are there. Jealousy can be a subtle thing. Even idolatry. You might be putting something in the place of God and not even realize it. And you might think to yourself, if sin is so subtle and if running on the the fuel of the flesh can be such a subtle thing, then, then how can I know what I'm struggling with? How can I know what my weaknesses are? If this is so subtle... You want to know one of the answers to that question, how you can know? If you want to be a stronger disciple of Jesus Christ and recognize some of your weaknesses, you want to know how is a great way to do that? Ask somebody that you're close to. Open that can of worms. If you really want to grow, and this, this is not a comfortable thing to do, but if you really want to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ and you may not be sure where your weaknesses lie, you need to ask a spouse, you need to ask a close friend, you need to ask somebody close to you that you trust, where are the weaknesses in me? Now, I'm not just suggesting that because I think it's a good idea. I've actually done this. And it's about as much fun as hitting your thumb with a hammer. And if you are defensive... It can go sour. But if you walk into a conversation like that open and ready to hear what the other person has to say, it can actually be very sweet. It can actually be very liberating. And you can actually learn things about yourself you may have never known. You might think to yourself, well, I don't have any relationships like that. Where can I find relationships that I could be open and transparent? Boy, I wish this church had some kind of group that I could join. I'll just lay that out there. We should recognize two fuel sources, the flesh and the spirit. We need to be aware of the wrong fuel source, the flesh, and what comes from that. And here's your third point. We should take violent action against the flesh. We should take violent action against the flesh. Now before I get to verse 22... And 23, which is the sweet spot. I want to address why I chose violent action against the flesh. Jump to verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You are not going to get rid of the works of the flesh by being passive, you are not going to get rid of the works of the flesh by approaching them weakly by trying to dodge them, we have to go after these things, violently take care of them in our lives if we are to run on the right fuel source and see the product of the fruit of the Spirit. Now we get to the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22 and 23, and this is like a breath of fresh air after seeing the list of the works of the flesh. Let's just read this together, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. If I am running on the fuel of the Holy Spirit, then the exhaust is clean and pure and breathable. The fruit of the Spirit. I was thinking about this list, and I don't think, I don't think there's hardly a person alive, Christian or non-Christian, that could look at this list and think, yeah, this is what we need. I don't even think there's an atheist who could look at that list and not come to the conclusion that's what we need more of in humanity. I think we could all get on the same page. This is a beautiful list of how we should conduct our lives. The fruit of the spirit. Now the word fruit, the Greek word is karpos and it means fruit. They did a great job translating that word. They mean apple or orange? or nanner. Fruit. But here, and I think you've picked up on it already, here it means the product or outcome of something. I mean, you've heard the saying, the fruit of my labor. I spent the day building a barn, and there it is. You can see what I did, the fruit of my labor. Paul's what we're saying here. The fruit of our labor needs to be Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This should be your exhaust fumes, and that's a silly sentence, but it's true. The fruit of the Spirit. Paul first shows us the list of what not to do, and then he reveals the list of what should be going on in our lives, what should, we should be gunning for, what the target should be, and they contrast very, very huge In fact, the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit is very similar to the language of the put off and put on in Ephesians four, twenty-two and twenty-four. You can read this on screen. Paul writes in Ephesians four, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true holiness and righteousness. Put off the old, the ugly, the works of the flesh, put on the new, the self, the fruit of the Spirit, powered by the Holy Spirit. Bible uses this put off, put on language to give us an idea. Stop doing this. It's the product of the work of the flesh. Start doing this, which is the product of the Holy Spirit. Now again, time does not permit me to hit each and every one of these pieces of fruit here. But I want to hit a few of them. A few of them that have been meaningful to me and I hope are meaningful to you. Let's start with peace. Love, joy, peace. Peace can refer to peace with God and it can also refer to peace with others. It's quite the opposite from the relational destruction that was listed in the works of the flesh. The fruit of the spirit calls for peace, which is harmony. It's relating to one another in a way that pleases God and brings sweetness to the church. Are you fighting for peace? That's an odd question. Are you fighting for peace? How do I get peace with God? Well, that's a trick question. Because if you're a believer in Jesus, guess what? You've already got the peace with God. Your sins are forgiven. He looks upon that no more. You have peace with God. But sometimes, and I think this is the cry of many Christians, we don't feel it. You say I have peace with God. It's in his word, but I don't feel the peace with God. You know what brings the feeling, if I can use that word, you know what brings the sense of peace? Repentance and obedience. Repentance and obedience. If you don't have the sense of peace between you and God, you've got the peace. Christ took care of that. But if you don't have the sense of peace, then I would ask, is there unconfessed sin in your life? Is there a lack of obedience in your life? Is there something God's tugging on you and you're ignoring him? And if so, it's no wonder you don't sense the peace. Are there any strained relationships in your life? Have you done all that you are responsible to do? You can't answer for the other person. You can't make up their mind and choose their choices, but you can go to your end. You can do everything that you can do to try to make things right. Have you done that? It's interesting. Even if the relationship doesn't heal, if you do, if you are obedient to what God wants you to do, that sense of peace will come. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness carries the idea of trustworthiness, of loyalty. Think about Jesus, who was loyal to the Father, stepping out of heaven, becoming a man, suffering and dying, and then rising again so the Christian should be loyal like Christ was. It's very interesting. We had membership class last night, and we talked about the incarnation, that Jesus left his throne and became a man. And and I compared it to... Me, if I was able to leave this body and become a cockroach. I know that's not a pretty picture, but Jesus was faithful to the Father and did what the Father desired. And just as our Savior was faithful, we need to be faithful to the task that God has called us to do. Are you being faithful, Christian? Are you being faithful as a husband? And as a wife, and as a father, and as a mother, as a brother, as a sister, as a cousin, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a co-worker, are you being faithful to what God has called you to do? What has God called you to do? Certainly, he's called us to speak the gospel, to live the life. He's called us to emulate the fruit of the Spirit here, and that can... Look different depending on your situation, but are you being faithful? Are you being the servant of Jesus Christ? Are you being a voice for Jesus Christ? You might think, I'm trying. It's exhausting, I know. It is exhausting. I think back to the sermon that Pastor Tony preached last week and how he urged us to not give up. That was a word I needed. Are you being faithful, church? Kindness. This word can relate to the kindness of God toward the unworthy. The kindness of God toward the unworthy. Just as a simple illustration, think about Jesus and how he stretched out his hand to the sick, to the helpless, and healed them. His kindness. Bible even says he was moved with compassion. One author writes of this word that it denotes God's gracious response to his rebellious creation. It denotes God's gracious response to his rebellious creation. And here in this particular passage, the kindness is how we're relating to each other. We relate to each other with kindness. Can you imagine such kindness in your life and in your church, that even when somebody is appallingly awful to you, you respond with kindness. Is that easy? No, it's not easy. I would say it's not even possible unless we're running on the proper fuel source. The last one I want to mention is self-control. And this is a very important one. It refers to controlling the passion the works of the flesh mentioned earlier self-control is controlling those things because we're not going to be void of them here on earth we're going to be tempted and we're going to struggle and self-control fueled by the holy spirit is what we use to hold those things back so they don't break out whatever fleshly desires that you have self-control holds those things back you mean i have to restrain all those things that i feel sometimes Yes, the Bible calls us to do that. Not only does the Bible call us to do that, but we have been given the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do that. A lack of self-control is what hurls a person into the depths of immorality like nothing else. Why is the news filled with such heinous crimes day after day after day? Why do I, and I know you do too sometimes, turn it off because I can't bear to hear it anymore? because the world is full of people who refuse to practice self-control. And I'll go a step further. The world is full of people who can't practice self-control because they don't even have the option of the spiritual fuel source. The fruit of the Spirit is the list that you and I should be striving for in our lives. And we do that, as I mentioned earlier, by verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So my word to you this morning is to take violent action against your flesh. Kill the desires. Nuke them if you have to. When you feel the temptations taking hold of you, remind yourself, no, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I heard a message from John Piper earlier this week that when he senses temptation in his mind, he says to himself, no, Jesus is better. And if that's what it takes to help you, then I recommend that. No, Jesus is better. I heard another pastor say one time that we are dead in our trespass, and that we are dead to the things of the world once we become a believer in Christ. And maybe you need to say to yourself, when you feel the temptations and desires, you say, "No, I am dead to that. I'm alive to God." If you believe in Jesus, your Savior, you're a child of God. Your identity is changed. Your allegiance is to the King. So take violent action against the flesh. Don't submit to its demands. Nuke the flesh. Romans 7, 4. You can read this on the screen. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Do you belong to the other? That other is Jesus Christ. Do you belong to him? You have the power you have the fuel source granted to you to live out the fruit of the Spirit. So what fuels your walk? Are you walking by the Spirit or are you putting something into your tank that's going to end badly? Have you recognized that there's a battle for you? Who are you listening to? Have you recognized the exhaust fumes of the flesh and how awful and horrible they are and how much we need to avoid them. And are you fighting? Are you violently taking action against the flesh so that you can be filled with the power of the spirit and produce the fruit of the spirit? I'll close with this quote by F.F. F. Bruce. He's, he writes, living by spirit is the root Walking by the spirit is the fruit and that fruit is nothing less than the practical reproduction of the character and therefore the conduct of Christ in the lives of his people. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Mm. Holy Spirit, you come to live within those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who believe in Jesus have the option to be fueled by you. And yet so often, we turn back to the wrong fuel source. Well, Jesus, it is my prayer to grow to depend more and more upon you and upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know it's the desires of those in this room to do the same. Let us not walk away from your word this morning and forget. Let us remember these words. Let us submit to your spirit. And may what is produced be the beautiful be the precious, be the peaceful fruit. Prince in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.